Welcome to episode 574 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballPerspectus.com, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland.com. Hi, Ben. Hello. And one thing we like to do uh, every year is uh, when the top 10s are coming out for each team, when the top 10 for the uh, presumed best organization in the game comes out we like to talk to the authors who uh, who put that list together and I don't know for sure that this is going to end up being the best organization uh, but it's I think it's our best guess at the moment or or it might be uh, the Cubs top 10 is out this morning Friday morning and um, so we have uh, Nick Valeris and Chris Mellon who are leading the uh, top 10 rankings this offseason doing uh, incredible work um, and uh, finally have reached the Cubs uh, hi, Nick. Hi, Chris. How are you guys? All right. How's it going? Doing well. Thanks for Good. having me on. Yeah. Say which one of you is which. <laughs> this is Nick. This is Chris. All right. There we go. Uh, okay. So, uh, are we on, like some crazy satellite phone system that's causing this delay, or are we just that slow because we're worn down from the rankings? <laughs> I think that the call, I think that when I say something, it goes through Ben's Skype, which then goes through Chris's phone, which then goes to you. So it's like a three delay. System. All right. Uh, I'm just exhausted too, Nick, to be honest with you. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, um, so, first off, uh, you guys think the Cubs might be the number one organization when we do org rankings at the end of uh, the winter? You don't obviously know that, but how? I guess how confident are you that this t- uh, organization stands above the rest? I, I'd say we're, I, I'm pretty confident. Um, you know, the sheer depth of the system uh, and, and the fact that they've got you know two likely top five overall prospects in in Bryant and Russell, and then. You know, two or three others that you might be able to, to fit into the top 50 or, or 75 or so that's, that's pretty tough to compete with. No, no one else really jumps out to me as having uh, that balance of depth and impact. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with Nick. If you just look at the overall future potential of the, the first few guys in this system, the system has more than we've released to date so far in all the other systems combined. In terms of, we have two players with a with a seven type future of you know all star potential, fall back on first division regulars there, and then two players right below them in Jorge Soler and Albert Amora who could who could push that type of level in terms of the ceiling just in the first you know four players alone. So this this is a as Nick said a very deep system that's very talented. It's got you know st- uh, high ceiling at the front. It's got high ceiling in the bottom. It's, it's definitely a um, So this was the either the top system last year or maybe number two behind the twins and It's still up at the top now. Obviously, they've graduated some guys Baez and Alcantara But they've also added Russell. Is this a better number one Cubs system than last year's possibly number one Cubs system? For me, yes, definitely. I think uh, the influx of, of arms in the draft this year uh, Schwarber coming on board via the draft this year and some of the growth with 
you know, in younger kids, kids at the lower level, such as Gliber Torres, um, really ha- has boosted the overall strength of the system. Uh, there wasn't a lot of regression from from impact guys in the system. And then you have guys like Underwood who, uh, you know, had nice rebound years and, and look to have uh, – set themselves uh, back on track as far as development is concerned. So it was, it was a little shaky earlier on in this, in the summer. Uh, some of the, some of the guys, uh, you know, Almora, for example, uh, struggled a lot uh, in, in the early months, but uh, the ship righted. And I think for the most part, uh, everyone in the system finished pretty strongly. It was a really good year for them developmentally. And uh, before we, uh, we'll talk a lot more about the Cubs, but, uh, just curious, what happened to the Twins uh, since last year that they would sort of fall out of that spot? Well, you know, it's tough. It's tough with the Buxton injury, he, him being the frontliner of that system and also the frontliner of the, the, the top 100 and one in the game. Um, it's tough to evaluate him, to be honest with you. We haven't gotten you know, deep into the Twins system yet. We will soon. But um, just what, what, what's, what happened with him, you know, it's tough to say that you know, it's tough to ding a guy for, you know, some of the injuries he had. They were kind of a little bit, I want to say, fluky. But at the same time, he didn't make any development strides forward, and it's going to be interesting, you know, how how we handle that. And then you had Sano up at the front there with him, Miguel Sano as well, who went down with the um, shoulder injury and missed the whole season. And, again, he was another player towards the top 20 last year who, again, for that system, did not really do anything on the field developmentally to you know push it forward you had you had a, players like Jose Barrios and Cole Stewart come in and, and take some steps forward to help kind of bolster it but you also had some players in that top 10 that we had last year like an like an Eddie Rosario who were who were more middling over the course of the season I saw him a bunch he was a top 100 guy for us last year as well as I think he was seventh overall in that system so you can see the depth there if, the, if, the, if your seventh guy you know, you got seven guys in the top 100. That's a pretty deep system. He was uneven over the course of the season. Scout had been scout well. I know he performed well in the Arizona Fall League, but that's kind of an iffy profile right now. So when you look at the mix of players there, it's still a strong system on talent and potential. But, you know, as Nick said, with the Cubs, a lot of players taking steps forwards or, or finishing the season strong. With the Twins, it was a little bit of the opposite. The, the the interesting thing about the twins, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to to digging into that system, which we'll be doing in the next probably week and a half or so, is uh, a lot of the talent that they brought in recently has been uh, more uh, skewed towards like a, a power reliever profile. So they've they they added uh, three or four arms in the draft this year that that have the potential to be impact late inning arms in, in pretty short order, and it's not a traditional sort of um, you know, sexy top prospect, but it did add some 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 girth to the system. Uh, and then obviously we've got guys like Alex Meyer, Jose Barrios, um, Lewis Thorpe, a lower level arm that that had a, a solid year in the Midwest League. And and Nick Gordon is probably the the next in line in that system as far as someone who could step up and and eventually grow into sort of that elite terror prospect. So there's still a lot of talent in the system. It's going to be an interesting system to pick apart and figure how everything sort of slots together. You know, my guess is that they're not going to have a huge fall fall off, even with the uh, the injuries that Mellon mentioned to to Buxton and Sano. 
You mentioned that Russell is a potential number one overall prospect in the game right now. Uh, just a couple months ago, when you guys did the uh, when the site did the midseason uh, top fifty, Russell was number six, and only one of the guys above him graduated to the majors. So, did did he did sir, did he do something in the second half after the trade to change what you guys thought of him to really elevate, uh, or is it more a matter of you know injuries digging the guys above him? Uh, and just sort of, um, I don't know, maybe just him being in that mix to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I think generally speaking, uh, there's, there's, there wasn't tons sell, uh, separating that that top collection of players on the midseason uh, BP top 50 list. Uh, Russell definitely had a strong second half. Um, you know, part of this is uh, the the process of. Uh, taking a, a look at what transpired over the, the full season in the aggregate. And when you start stacking everything up and you, you break down the grades and you break down the production, I mean, you've got a, a shortstop here that's a potential five-tool guy, probably the, the most balanced out of any of the uh, profiles for, for the handful of impact shortstops in the minor leagues right now. And uh, he's had a very successful year, very productive year as a 20-year-old in double A. I mean, it's tough to beat that uh, – that resume. And he's, he's definitely the type of player who can stick up the middle and provide a ton of value for you on the field. He, he's got, um, you know, a, a higher floor. If, if the hit tool doesn't quite get to the level that we think it's going to get to, if the power doesn't quite play to the level we we think it's going to get to, it, it's still a pretty damn good player here. And, I, and you know, I, and Nick and I are talking and looking through this system and, and whatnot with Russell at the front and then potentially having him in, you know, competition for one of the top prospects in the game. We think it's totally warranted. Yeah, so debate and discussion has been a big part of producing these lists for, for the last few years. It's always been someone and prospect staff, and there's a big prospect staff, and not everyone agrees on every player. So you mentioned that Russell and Brian are probably both top five guys. How close were they? Were you guys split on how to order them, or were other members of the prospect staff split on that? Was there a, a lot of pro Bryant number one voices in the in the discussion? Yeah. So the way that the uh, the process has worked, you know, Mellon and I are each responsible uh, as the point person for for half of the teams. Uh, the Cubs are are one of the teams that fell into my coverage area. So um, you know, I was I had the uh, the privilege and the responsibility to to turn the lists to, you know, make the final decision as far as where I thought players should slot in to cross check with industry sources. And, you know, for the, for the bulk of the process, Bryant was slotted into the number one slot, just, you know, almost by default, uh, I think. And as I was digging into the actual reports themselves and writing them up, you know, I, I just sort of challenged myself with, you know, put Russell at one, see how it feels, you know, write, write them up that way. And, um, you know, the, the more I wrote, the, the clearer the narrative became to me that I, I, I preferred that profile you know, overall to Bryant's profile. And, and Bryant's it, it, profile is fantastic. As I said, it's a top five profile uh, on the prospect scene without question. But uh, the added defensive value, the, the wider array of uh, potential impact tools, as Mellon touched on, gives a, a firmer set of foundational value. I think it allows for, for Russell to be a productive player if the development rounds out in any number of different avenues. So if he were to 
to to get bigger and get stronger than you know evaluators currently expect and ends up having to slide over to third base what's likely to come with that is a boost in the power grade and you know he's going to be an impact player there just as easily as he is at shortstop so you know i'd say the prospect team for the most part was was locked in at brian and number one but when i uh came back and it was after we had basically um set a list i came back about a week later and said hey here are some changes i'm making and uh uh, there, there wasn't really much pushback at all. I, you know, I kind of laid out what my reason for the changes, and uh, Mel, unless you remember something different, I think for the most part it was uh, met with interest, but not, uh, not really a lot of challenge. Right, and I, and I will say that in the beginning, even, even as you were outlining this and everything, that you had offered to the group, you know, right off the bat, you know, what, what we thought about, you know, Russell being up at the front. It was something that always kind of seemed in your in your mind, Nick, and I think just when, like when I've done the other list and sat down and wrote these guys up, you, you, you take a step back, you take all the information that you, we've gotten from our team, from industry sources, just kind of internally, you know, in our in, in your individual mind and kind of think about it. And sometimes you just make those those tweaks at the last second where you flip a guy or, or you move a guy around because you've just been able to consolidate all the information and kind of step back and look at the profile. Yeah, that's right. It, when when we first rolled out the list for discussion and I had players kind of tiered and then we we examined comparatively those players within those tiers. You know, one of the questions I think you're right, Melon, that I, I, I put forth at the very beginning was, you know, it, it seems like there's an argument for for uh, Russell over Bryant. Does anybody want to make that argument? And And there really wasn't anyone lining up to make that argument. No one came out and said, yeah, I think we should consider Russell. Uh, number one, I think everyone was com- comfortable with Brian at number one, but they're so close and the profiles are so close that you know, when we ultimately decided to make the switch, it was met with, uh, I, th- I think, positively on the whole. And both of these guys have 2015 ETAs on the list. Obviously, a, a lot of people were hoping they'd get a chance to see Bryant last year, but the Cubs took a, a more conservative approach. So we saw top prospects come up last year. We saw Alcantara, we saw Baez. And they had some growing pains, as expected. Do you think that will be the same sort of thing that we see with Russell or Bryant? Or do you expect these guys to come up and hit right away, sort of like Solaire did last year? Solaire is an interesting, uh, interesting data point. Um, you know, I, 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 to answer the question, I think Russell has a better skill set, uh, a skill set better suited to step in and uh, make a smoother transition to the big leagues. Uh, you know his his approach is uh, a little bit tighter. His his bat to ball is his natural bat to ball is a little bit better, uh, simply because the swing is is geared to contact. It's a more compact swing than Bryant's swing. He's obviously he obviously doesn't have the same long levers that that Bryant has. So he he has fewer coverage holes in the strike zone and. And that in and of itself uh, simplifies things. That where Bryant has the potential to run into some issues, and, and this was touched on in his write-up on the on the rankings. Um, Major league arms are going to be able to do a better job of exploiting some of the holes in his swing, and those are those are just natural holes that come with being a big guy and and having long arms and and a, a big wingspan there and and big leverage in your swing. So. Uh, He's going to have to continue to work, and he's done a great job of it thus far uh, in his trek up the minors uh, of learning to, to work counts, fight off pitches when, when need be, and, and really finding his pitches to drive. And he, he is a good natural hitter. He's going to make hard contact, but there is sort of that natural swing and miss to his game that you know 
he probably has a larger risk of, of running into issues with major league arms, being able to exploit those, those holes. So I, I in, uh, you know, Solaire's a good example of that as well. He came up and, and sort of had a played out of his mind for, for five games or so, and then actually had a pretty, pretty pedestrian rest of the way, you know, the book got out, uh, or the preliminary book, at least, that, it, it, you know, not enough, uh, not enough information yet, I guess, to get a full book, but pitchers adjusted and Soler didn't really adjust back yet. So we'll, we'll see how he, how he enters the season next year, but, you know, pitchers stopped challenging him inside, you know, pitched him away, softer away more often. And, and he struggled a fair amount in his last 20 games or so. So, uh, you know, I think Bryant is, it won't struggle as much as Soler did, but there he's, uh, probably more likely to run into some issues than, than Russell would be. I, it seems like uh, I hear Kyle Schwarber, uh, I, I feel like I hear his name come up in the exact same context uh, every couple days, which is like this. Somebody will ask a question in a chat or in a comment um, about how insanely good he is, and then whoever the expert is inevitably walks that guy back a little bit and makes some caveat about uh, his bat being too advanced for his level or something like that. Uh, how good is Schwarber? And is is he? I guess you mentioned tiers um, when you were when you were creating this. Is he in a tier below Almora? Yeah, he 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 was in. Uh, I think he was in the second tier, and Almora was in the first tier when we first broke these out. Um, you know, Almora is an impact up the middle player that has the potential to 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 grow into plus power. There's there's plus raw there already. Uh, he he's going to impact the game across the field he's going to be an impact base runner he, he's a he's a smart base runner he can take an extra base he's not going to make outs on the bases he's going to provide plus defense in center field and he's going to hit you know schwarber is, is much more one-dimensional uh he he's got the ability to hit for average he has good plate coverage really sound approach a really mature approach um, and he's got he's got that you know plus or better raw pop that's going to play as well. So he's going to be he's going to be a, a useful bat regardless of where he slots. But if he's not a catcher, and the odds are he's not a hundred game a year catcher, you know you're going to have a below average defender in left field or or at first base, uh, maybe a fifty game a year catcher, and uh, a pretty good bat. You know a bat that can be a number five or number six bat in your lineup. But that's a that's a clear step behind sort of Al Morris ceiling, which is. You know, a number one, number two bat in the order that's going to hit for average, hit for power, and oh, by the way, give you um, big value on the defensive side of things and on the bases. Forgive me, uh, forgive me for forcing a comp, especially because I'm completely knowledgeable about any of this stuff. But when I look at him and I look at his what he's done statistically and kind of what his profile is uh, offensively and defensively, I sort of feel like um, I'm seeing Derek Barton at the same age. Is there anything to that at all, or is this just me being completely non-knowledgeable? I'm assuming that you're, we're going back to Schwarber? Yeah. Okay. As I say, Barton wouldn't be my comp for Almora. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are similar, similarities there offensively. You know, the, the key for Schwarber is really going to be how much is the power going to play in game and, um, you know, where is that value ultimately going to come uh, defensively? And, you know, Barton makes sense uh, comp-wise there. You have, you know, a bad first profile. And um, as, as far as whether or not Schwarber is able to, you know, ever transcend sort of that, 
first division regular and and grow into a legit all-star type profile you're really counting on something extra happening so either he makes so much progress behind the base uh behind the plate and he in he has the work ethic and the makeup to, to surprise and and um outperform sort of expectations now you could see him de- developing into that sort of elite type of talent but it's going to take something outside of you know the general projection at this point i think if you spoke to you know Midwest scouts that, that had him in their coverage area. If you spoke to decision makers, uh, you know, scouting directors that, that had him on their draft board. And if you, and probably if you spoke to folks in the cub system, they'd all tell you, he's a really great player. I'd love to have him in my system, but this isn't, this isn't really a profile that you would traditionally build your team around. He's not the staple of the lineup. He's going to be a really important piece provided that the Cubs, you know, have a spot for him and that he fits into what they're ultimately doing. But this isn't the piece that they're building their team around. Now he's a good, he, you know, in the long run, if you if you step back and look at him, he's a good, he'd be a good complementary piece on a contender, on a, on a deep, on a deeper team, a guy that, if you know, you have a lot of other, you know, good, good to, to great major leaguers on the team, you can afford to maybe have a player like him play first base and not bring any, you know, not bring a ton of defensive value to the table because you have like a, a guy like Russell or a guy like Almora out in center field who have the potential to provide good defense along with good offensive ability. And it, it all really depends on your, you know, the, the composition of the team and on a, on a team that's maybe thinner in talent. And then you put him in a position where you're trying to force him to be, you know, a full fledged, consistent contributor and bat somewhere in that middle of the lineup. No, I, I don't think so. You know, like when we write these guys up, a lot of times we try to outline, you know, where where they would hit. And he's like Nick said, I think a guy who could hit fifth, sixth, even seventh in a deeper lineup and contribute, contribute offensively, but he's, and not have a ton of pressure on him to have to go out there and perform at such a value that it's going to, you know, put pressure on both sides of this game. So you mentioned in the parting thought for the system that even though the system might graduate its top two guys this year, there's always the potential that they might trade some guys at some point over the offseason or during the season. And yet you say that there is enough lower level talent even that this could continue to be the strongest system or one of the strongest systems next year. So who are... I guess the the highest projected risers, or who who would be the guys that we will be talking about as the top in the system next year, or I guess who are the the interesting names that have just recently been added to the system and are still a ways away. So, so the best place to start there is is uh, Gleyber Torres, who made the top ten this year. Uh, you know, he he has the feel at the plate uh, to make a big developmental jump early on, despite being so young. Um, you know, he, he's the type of profile that could grow into an impact profile, uh, you know, step in and, and sort of be the next in line behind an Addison Russell type. Uh, his tools aren't as loud as Russell's um, were at the same age, but uh, he's not that far behind. He could be an impact profile in the near future. Uh, you know, the three on the rise candidates we mentioned, Steele, Stinnett, um, I'm sorry, and, and uh, it, it, uh, Zagunas ended up taking that that third spot, and um, we can touch on them in a second, but Steele, uh, Steele and Stinnett 
are two arms that could uh, take a big step forward, jo join Carson Sands, who, who made the top 10, and, and you know, be fixtures in this top 10 moving forward, all of them having, you know, mid-rotation upside uh, and good fallbacks in the back of a bullpen. I think Sands is the best bet to stick in a rotation among those three. Um, but, you know, Stinnett and Steele have the, have the big stuff to be late inning guys, you know, at, at their worst, provided they, uh, they're able to stay healthy. And then, um, you know, uh, Dwayne Underwood took a big step this forward. He just missed the top 10. He just missed the on the rise. He was a, um, a, a premium talent in the draft. He had sort of a, a rough go at his first, uh, first taste of pro ball. And this year he sort of righted the ship and, um, you know, compared to how he had looked previously in pro ball, it was a, a big developmental year for him. Um, take, putting into context of where he was when, when he started and, and what the expectations were, it's probably more accurate to say that he's sort of back on track and um, ready to, to move forward. He, he's the type of profile that could, you know, next year with another strong year, be another, you know, potential number three starter and, and, when you start lining up all of these names, you say, you know, wow, you know, let's say Bryant, Russell, Solaire, all drop off this list. We could have, you know, three or four arms that are uh, on par with, you know, Pierce Johnson is the top arm on this list, you know, at this time next year. And a bunch of them are still going to be in the low minors. Um, you know, that's, uh, it, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of talent in the system. There's a lot of high ceiling talent that's sort of on the cusp of establishing itself as a legitimate prospect. That's you know making steady progress. Uh, there just aren't a lot of systems that can boast that. So uh, that that's where I, I how it was. Uh, I got comfortable making the statement that the Cubs could you know potentially promote and or trade some talent and there's enough there enough upside there that you know you could be a number one they could legit be a number one the number one system in baseball this year and and fall no low, lower than you know four or five uh, despite losing two top five prospects in the game that's 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 a pretty crazy amount of depth so it, it it's it seems that there are like maybe three different routes that you can take to being the number one organization in baseball one is you get a bunch of you know first or second overall picks one is that you trade everybody on your major league roster for a bunch of prospects. And the third is that you just genuinely are really good at the drafting and development side of things. And you turn uh, guys into, you know, even better guys. You turn them into better than people thought they would be. You, you bring out their best uh, potential. So there's a little bit of each of the first two with the Cubs. How much of this ranking is related to their actual organizational ability, uh, which I guess is a way of saying... How sustainable is this once uh, you know this crop of prospects is 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 all promoted? Uh, how sustainable is the uh, system that they have? Uh, how good will they be? Uh, would you guess in five years? Well, I, I'm definitely curious to hear hear Mellon's thoughts on this because I know that I've been so so deep in the Cubs system for the last you know three or four weeks that I'm probably um, you know guilty of drinking the Kool Aid a little bit. But uh, I, I'm highly impressed with with their developmental focus on their players, um, their approach to finding um, finding strengths in a player's profile and helping to draw those strengths out. And you know, regardless of whether that was uh, the direction they intended that player to head, uh, you know, when they acquired 
when they acquired him. It's similar to what the Cardinals do. The Cardinals do a great job of, you know, identifying profiles they can work with and then let that player develop into whatever form of that player is going to be the most useful. And then they find the slot for him or, or they move him. I mean, that's, that's very much what I see with the Cubs. You know, if, uh, turns out that Schwarber isn't going to stick behind home plate. You know, the Cubs aren't going to keep him there just because they feel they need that bat and they want it to, they want it behind the plate. If he's going to be a more impactful player in left field, that's where they're going to end up shifting him, and they'll figure out whether it makes the most sense to, to, to hold on to him or find someone else who will, will, you know, pay something in trade for, for that asset. Um, it's, it's a well-run ship. You know, they they have a plan from, you know, scouting side through acquisition and uh, through the uh, orientation process, getting players, you know, comfortable in, in the pro game and then starting to, to push them forward. And, and we'll see it with uh, the difference in, you know, my guess is the difference in the way that, you know, they, they approach developing Stinnett, Sands and Steele. You know, th- three of the top arms they drafted this year are, are going to be on uh fairly differing developmental tracks and and Stinnett's a college guy you'd expect it to be slightly different but you know the Cubs are going to find the play the uh the best fit from a comfort perspective and and put these players in the best position to progress and I I guess uh Torres and and Eloy Jimenez as well you know two uh two Latin American players that debuted in the AZL and you could very easily see one of them get challenged with uh full season ball next year and the other um you know, spend more time out out west in the the Northwest League, uh, despite both of them having you know fairly solid stateside debuts. And I'd say that you know, based on you know the staff that they have that we had that they have in Chicago, you know, namely Theo Epstein and Jason McLeod. You know, I have deep experience with how they operate when they were over in Boston, and um, I mean, it's typically they kind of have done this the same exact thing they did with Boston in terms of establishing a ton of talent within the system. It's, it's a war of attrition. I think that they, they aren't afraid to take chances on players, to give players big money and not have those players pan out. That's one of the things that you have to do in developing players is if you just get talent into your system and inevitably ones are going to burn out and they're not going to make it and you're not going to hit, you're probably going to hit less, you know, less than you think, less than you do. You're going to have guys burn out and whatnot, but, a little bit differently what they did, you know, what they did at first over in Boston was they let a lot of free agents go and they stacked up, um, you know, compensation-type picks and first-round picks there and were able to draft a ton of talent into the system and let it percolate through. Here over in Chicago, given that the expectations were a little bit lower, the team's rebuilding. I know the fan base is rabid and wants to win, but there was a little bit more leeway in putting up 90-plus lost seasons than there were in their other tenure. You know, it was you got to win every year or, you know, they want you out. And um, what they've been able to do is, you know, draft pretty well, um, trade players off and, and, and build up the farm system. And they're kind of pretty much in, this, in, a, in a similar situation where they have a ton of talent. And um, I don't know if it's, you know, in terms of developing, I think sometimes, you know, I think some organizations, you know, they, they have philosophies and they, and they look at players and they, they try to go through a certain kind of philosophy. But one of the things I've learned just through my experience is that, you know, there's, there's not the same plan for every player. Each player is like a unique case study. They're individual. You have to approach them differently. I think teams that are progressive like that and are able to look at players and realize that I can't make every player 
want to be super disciplined at the plate. I have to let players, you know, play to their strengths and try to mitigate their weaknesses. So I think that, yeah, you know, Nick's been drinking the Kool-Aid over there for the last couple of weeks, you know, diving into it. But, you know, for someone who's been around these guys often and seeing what they've done before, um, this is pretty much a similar outcome. And, and I think it's a tre- I think it's definitely a trend that you go from one organization to the other and you've kind of established your development machine in the same exact way. Do you guys know who the 30th best org is going to be? It might be, uh, you know, my guess would be the Angels. I'd have oh, to yeah. Go, but that would, be, that would be my guess. I talked to um, one scout who had uh, Instructs coverage, and he said he turned in, I don't want to be hyperbolic, so I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit more, uh, a little bit kinder than I think he actually was. But I think he said he only turned in six players as future major leaguers, which is uh, a, a pretty rough go at it for a collection of young talent that you normally see at, at Instructs. Um, they, they, they lost uh, additional players to San Diego via trade this year. Uh, there's there's not tons in that system. that That's going to be a, a rough one to break down. Fortunately, I think it's the, the last or second to last one I have to do. So I think by that point I can uh, – I can either mail it in or, or I will have been fired from this, this job anyway. So, um, you know. so, so last year, uh, last year uh, Jason said that the Twins organization would be better than the Angels organization, even if you took out the Twins' top 10. Uh, how far, how deep could you go? How, how many Cubs could you promote tomorrow and still have their system be better than the Angels, would you guess? I think, you, well, you could definitely go 10. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking Maybe 12, 13. Probably yeah, maybe probably maybe around twelve or twelve or thirteen. Um, let's see, you have jeez, uh, I should I wish I had this question ahead of time. I would have had a, a better answer in a, in a, in a lot uh, lot shorter time span. Well, I, I'm I, guessing I guess you could say, would Carson Sands be the number one prospect in the Angels system? Start with our tenth guy right there. Yeah, I, 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 my yeah. guess my guess is that we'll have Sean Newcomb number one in the Angel system. That's that was their first rounder this year. You know, I don't know that Sands uh, beats out Newcomb for that number one slot, but looking at the next, um, you know, five or six guys after that, it's going to be fairly heavy uh, 2014 draft class, I'd say, probably in the top five or six for the Angels. And, uh, you know, the Cubs won't, uh, the Cubs have a little bit more depth at the upper level. I mean, you, you have guys that weren't in the top 10, like CJ Edwards. Um, Aradis Viscaino, you know, there's they, some legit close to major league talent in the Cubs system that that wasn't in the top ten. And we, we and we touched on like Dwayne Underwood, obviously the on the rise guys for the Cubs. You know, all of those guys are easy, you know, easily better than you know the names that I expect will be sliding into the top, you know, five or so for the Angels. So yeah, Mel, I think you're probably right. You're probably 12 or 13 deep, and and you still have a good chance, I think, at making a, a pretty comparable collection of talent with the top ten. All right. Well, you guys have made a lot of Cubs fans happy. That is, it had been an annual tradition lately whenever we <laughs> talk to prospect guys in prospect ranking season. So thanks for keeping up the good work. And uh, we will, I'm sure, have you on again once you're done with this process. And once the, the top 101 is out, we can talk about that. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. All right. And... Everyone can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick J. Falaris. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Mellon. 
they're always happy to answer prospect questions on there too. And I will add a link to the top 10 in the Facebook group. I will not add a link to the top 10 in the BP blog post because if you're looking at the BP blog post, you will already be at baseballperspectus.com. So that is the last show for this week. We hope that you will join that Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Send us some emails for next week's show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes and support our sponsor by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday.